Hi, this is Stacy Brown Randall, author of Generating Business Referrals Without Asking, and you're listening to My Quest for the Best. Are you getting referrals each week? Every business owner can fantasize over having prospective buyers calling up asking to talk with you about how your business can help them. But my next guest, Stacy Brown Randall, author of Generating Business Referrals Without Asking, has really cracked the code on making it work. Last year, she received over 100 referrals, and her students are achieving comparable success at using her five-step system. She says that the biggest mistake business owners can make is looking for the easy button when it comes to referrals, because creating thoughtful touch points that plant seeds achieves so much more with just a small bit more effort. Having 100 real referrals in your business can probably make a big difference in the year ahead for you, your business, your employees, as well as your, your customers. So listen in and take notes. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, this is Bill Ringel, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock their growth potential. Joining me today is Stacy Brown Randall. Once she realized that referrals were the primary and preferred way to keep her business and productivity coaching practice pipeline full, Stacy has been obsessed with cracking the code on how to generate referrals in the simplest and most automatic way. After a previous business setback, she realized how essential it was to make it a priority for herself as well as many of her clients. Stacy is a three-time entrepreneur, author of Generating Business Referrals Without Asking, and host of the Roadmap to Grow Your Business podcast. Through her programs like Grow by Referrals and Sticky Client Experiences, she provides a roadmap to take control of your business growth. Stacy earned her master's in organizational communication from Queens University, Charlotte, not New York, and is based in Charlotte, North Carolina, where she and her family live. Welcome, Stacy. Thank you, Bill, for having me. It's a pleasure. Say, when you were growing up, who's someone who influenced or inspired you? You know, I probably have to say my father. My dad is a huge reader. He's actually an author. He was our first published author in the family, and he really promoted and pushed reading. I mean, he and my mom had a rule that said, if you want to stay up late, you can stay up 30 minutes later every night as long as you're reading, which really fostered a love of reading in myself, not so much in my brother, but it did in me. And I think that kind of baseline of having that encouraging for reading kind of led me to the path that I was on regarding, you know, just where I got my degrees and communication and writing and then teaching and the things that I do now is kind of all started at that baseline of really just the love of learning and the love of reading and it really set a great kind of foundation for me moving forward. And that really came from my father. I'll tell you, I had a similar experience growing up that we didn't always have a lot of money for toys, but anytime I asked for books, there was always money or resources to find a book, and I just devoured everything I could. Do you remember when you're growing up, when you first realized, oh my gosh, look at how many cool things there are because there were things that you were reading because you wanted to read, not because you had to read because it was assigned? You know, it's interesting. I think that there were just some of those stories that I would really get into and really enjoy, but we weren't allowed to watch television growing up. So, and then as we got older, we weren't allowed to watch it during the week. So I also think that I wasn't exposed to all the other things that I could have been doing. Um, reading was really a big part of our life. Oh, granted toys and playing outside were as well, but it wasn't like I was distracted by the television and wanting to do that more because it really wasn't allowed. So I think that helped kind of foster that that desire to read and kind of get lost in the story. How did you come to understand the importance of referrals in your business? 
you know, moving into present time, when did you realize that this was the key way for your business to flourish? Well, it took a business failure for me to figure out that I needed to do some things different to have a business that could be successful. And when my first business, what was an HR consulting firm, when I had my first business and I was, I ran that business for almost about four years and I had big name clients. So like if you were to look back on my HR consulting firm, you would have said, wow, Stacey, it seems like it's doing great. You're, you've got white papers published, you've got articles published in well-known trade publications, you know, you're being interviewed on Bloomberg News and you've got big name clients like KPMG and Snyder's Lance and Ally Bank and the city of Charlotte, like some big name clients that were well recognized. But the truth is, there were some really hard lessons that I was having to learn behind the scenes about actually running a, a well-functioning business that can actually provide what we're ultimately after when we decide to start a business, which is that freedom and some level of stability that comes from those processes and systems that allow us to have freedom in our business. I mean, most of us don't start a company or start our own business because we want to create a job for ourselves. You know, we want to create a paycheck for ourselves, but we usually want more. We want to be able to call the shots. We want that freedom and that flexibility to make decisions and the kind of the schedule that we want. And we typically really are good at delivering on something and we just want to be able to do that for our clients and be valued and be a trusted partner. And so when my first business failed, I realized it didn't really matter. That's all the things I wanted. If I didn't actually put some things in place that would allow me to get there. So when my first business failed, I had to go back to corporate America. And it was very, very long, 18 months, so to speak. I think it was about 18 months. And then I left um, after that 18 months and was able to start my second business. And I knew I had to do some things different. And so I started paying attention to how I developed business. How did I bring in new clients? And so when I was looking at the options, and I looked at how I brought in all my clients for the most part in my first business, I realized I didn't bring any in through referrals. Actually, the only client I brought in through a referral was like two years after my business had been shut down. I got referred into a company to do a presentation. And so I would look back on that and I would think, wow, I, I know referrals are a great way to bring in business. They're like that holy grail because they're just everything about them is better. The person shows up wanting to buy from you for the most part, already trusting you. They're less price sensitive. They always already value what you do. And when you hear people talk about referrals, it's the best type of new client generation that you can go after. And so when I started my second business, I was like, you know what? I need to figure out business development. I need to figure out how to do it better, how to do it different. And so I started paying attention to referrals and I was like, how am I going to bring in clients? I want referrals to be one piece of that. Mm -hmm. So I did what most people do. I went out and researched referrals. Okay, great. How do I get them? I got Google it. I go read books. And 99% of the advice was if you want a referral, you have to ask. And that asking piece just kind of hit me like, ah, it feels like a cousin to the cold call. Like asking somebody for a referral felt like calling somebody and asking them if they wanted to buy my product or service on the phone. And so I just thought to myself, I was like, I just wonder if there's a way to actually generate referrals without asking. And I didn't know if there was, but I knew my second business couldn't go through a failure. So I was a little bit more motivated to test things and to use my business as a guinea pig and work extra hard. Let and me I, jump in because I think that yeah. a lot of people listening have been through one of those conversations. I know I have. There's <laughs> someone you just meet says, hey, why don't we get together for breakfast and learn more about each other's business? And then before you've ordered your orange juice, the person says, open up your LinkedIn address book or let's just go through each other's address books. 
And all of a sudden, it's like they want to look through your address books and see how they can, you know, make connections with people. And you've hardly met them. That's awkward because you don't know if you could refer them in. You don't know really what the process is like. How many mistakes am I describing here? And I'm not the only one who's had this experience, right? Oh, of course not. I mean, I, I definitely think that the people who want to have those conversations with you, they, they, what they miss is they fundamentally don't understand why a referral happens and the human dynamic and the psychology behind why referrals are so powerful. And when you go asking for someone to give you a referral, they actually can't, right? Because that's not how a referral happens. They can give you a lead and they may or may not enjoy giving you that lead. Most of us don't. We find it awkward and uncomfortable when somebody asks us. I mean, it's one thing when somebody asks us and they're like our very best friend, right? Sure. But when it's not someone who is our very best friend that we have a vested interest in, you know, at the end of the day, them asking us just, it, it, unfortunately, we now perceive them differently. And we kind of see them as the person who's always going to be asking. And that's where I tell, like, you know, the people who kind of follow my work or go through my programs, I always say, you know, the idea here is, is that you have to understand the human dynamic and the psychology behind how and why a referral happens. And then you can't violate those things. And we violate it when we ask for a referral. I mean, it's the most uncomfortable thing we can do to somebody else is say, hey, who do you know? that's like you, that should be doing work with me? Or who's in your, like, as you said, who's in your LinkedIn connections that I probably should be meeting that you can introduce me to or you can connect me with? And it's just, that's just not how people typically want to do business, but it's all the advice that's been out there for decades and decades and decades about how to make referrals happen. It, it seems like people who have written this, because I've read this too, don't follow this because it doesn't work. <laughs> right? Well, so, okay, I love that you just mentioned that, Bill, because the reality of it is, is, you know, I remember having a conversation early on when I was like, I just wonder if I can generate referrals without asking. And I remember somebody saying to me, well, asking is like, that's how you're taught to do it. That's, that's what they say to do is you got to go ask. I'm like, yeah, but do you ask? And they're like, well, no. And I was like, <laughs> why are we listening to advice that tells us to do something we're fundamentally not doing? And then why are we keeping it going? Like telling other people, you just got to go ask, but I don't ask because I don't want to do it. So you know what happens? Most people just assume they're never going to get referrals. And that is, I think, the saddest thing that can happen to a business owner is to make the decision that if you to come to the conclusion that if I want referrals, I either have to ask or sometimes they believe that they're just, they're inconsistent and sporadic and you don't have any control over them unless you're willing to ask. So people just set them aside. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You absolutely deserve referrals. The truth is you're not owed them. So you deserve referrals. You're not owed them. And there is some work we have to do, but asking is not the work that we need to be doing. And I think what people miss is that when you ask for a referral, you're actually putting referral generation in your prospecting bucket. So if you think about the sales buckets in your business, you have prospecting buckets where you're cold calling and your networking live, right? And then you have that marketing bucket, which is maybe where your press releases and publicity live and maybe some the advertising that you want to do. But there's a third bucket you have to pay attention to, and that's your referral bucket. And you can't take how referrals happen and then try to Add or apply activity to referral generation that comes from your prospecting bucket, which is typically asking, or from your marketing bucket, which is typically making it very gimmicky and promotional. So let's back up just a moment. There are some really good distinctions for people who are listening here, that there are different buckets, your prospecting bucket, your marketing bucket, and your referral bucket. And don't combine buckets because they need to be distinct and the activities are unique to each 
channel that you're looking to use to bring in leads. You said before that one of the big mistakes is that people think referrals and leads are the same thing. Help us out and help and teach us what the difference is from your perspective and your experience, Stacey. Yeah, so I always tell folks is I think that the the use of the term referrals is so heavily overused to where we've diluted what it actually stands for and what it actually means. So I will have people who will come up to me and they'll be like, hey, I received a referral the other day and then they'll explain it to me and I'll be like, no, that's called word of mouth buzz. Or they'll be like, hey, um, check out this great referral I just received. And I'm like, "Mm, no, that's actually an introduction or a warm lead. And I find that these four terms, referrals, word of mouth buzz, warm lead, and introduction are all used interchangeably, which dilutes the power and the true you know, reason why we want referrals, because we're applying terminology to something that doesn't actually fit. And so when you think about a referral, it has two things that those other types of leads don't have. Now, most people know what a cold lead is, right? I mean, we're not going to confuse a cold lead with a referral, but we will confuse a warm lead or word of mouth buzz in our introduction. And what those three, warm lead, word of mouth buzz, and introduction, don't have, or they only have one but not both pieces, what they're missing that a referral has are two things. One, there is always a personal connection because the trust that the referral source feels for you, Bill, cannot be transferred to the prospect, right, unless they connect you. So it's when the connection is made that the prospect recognizes that the person who's doing the referring trusts you and that trust is then transferred to them as the prospect. So you have to have that personal connection. That personal connection has to be made so that the trust is, it's, it's made and it's very concrete. The second piece of that is, is that there has to be a need identified, right? When I just say, hey, Bill, you need to meet Sally, and I don't say why, I'm doing an introduction. I'm mm-hmm. making the connection, but I'm not saying that there's a need and Sally needs to buy something, right? Sally has a problem. She has an issue. She has a, she's a pain point that needs to be solved, and I trust you to solve it. So I'm not saying word of mouth buzz and warm leads and introductions are bad. I'm just saying they're not referrals. And so how you treat them is different. Your language you use to flip them into referral is different. The language you use when you're sitting down for a first phone call or a first meeting with someone who has been referred to you versus someone who's just, you know, been introduced to you. Those are two totally different conversations. And so the second thing a referral has is that need identified, which means the prospect shows up knowing they have a problem and ready to at least consider doing something about it, which Mm -hmm. is why they were open to being referred to you and why they're willing to have a conversation with you, which means you move them so much faster through that no like and trust factor before they get to the place where they're willing to spend any money with you because they drop in at the trust side. Yeah. They do have to kind of back up a little bit and make sure they actually want to work with you. Like they do like you enough to want to work with you, but they already trust you. And think about it, Bill, there are two things that we don't want to do when and we're scared that we will do when we make a decision to hire somebody, right? And that is we don't want to waste money and we don't want to make a mistake. And so if I can refer you in so you know you're not wasting money and you know you're not making a mistake, it makes your decision-making process so much faster and so much better. Stacey, you've certainly gone through and mastered this and made these distinctions. Help us understand at a really concrete level, does this always have to happen through a face-to-face introduction? Could it happen through a phone call? Could it happen through an email? And what does it sound like when someone's making a genuine referral, not an introduction, and using those two attributes that you just talked about, being able to establish that trust and do the trust transfer, 
and then identifying a need. Let's walk through a hypothetical or even use one of your clients who's been through one of your programs and has established this. Yeah, so I always tell folks that email is typically the best way that if you can have the referral happen through email, it's the best way because the connection can be made because we can all be included on the email, right? So the referral source can send the email and they can copy, let's just say I'm being referred to you, right? And let's say Sally is our referral source. So Sally knows I have a problem and Bill can solve it. So she's referring me to you. And if she's doing it over email, she's sending an email to me and copying you. Mm-hmm. Right. So we're both on the email and that makes that connection happen. Now, granted, it can happen in a live event, right? We can be having a conversation and I and Sally can pull you over and be like, Bill, you got to meet Stacy, right? But the odds of us all being at the same event and there's no way we're all going to be in the same phone call when, you know, I'm having this conversation with Sally and she identifies, oh my gosh, you need Bill's help. Right. So I always say whether it's happening face to face or it's happening over the phone, like you want to move it to happening over email, because what happens when it happens over email is that it allows you as the solution provider, right? The person who's getting a new client, it puts you in the driver's seat. It allows you then to control kind of the follow up. And so that's the best. It's not always going to work that way, but that's the best way for it to happen. So when someone's talking to me and they say, oh my gosh, Stacey, I was talking to a client of mine the other day. They definitely need to buy your book and they need to go through your program. I told them how amazing it is, right? That's word of mouth buzz and it's great, but it's not a referral. So what I need to do is add in, they've identified the need in that other person, but they didn't connect us. So I need to have them bring it back, right? And connect us all over email. So that's the best way for it to happen. Now, the language that you want used in that email is you want the referral source. So in this case, Sally, right? We want Sally saying, why is she connecting Stacy and Bill? And she, we want her saying, Bill, I had a conversation with Stacy. This is her problem. And I really think that you can help her solve it. So it's very, very clear. Sally and I had a conversation. I'm very well aware that I have a problem and that Sally recommends and refers you to me, right, in terms of to solve my problem. And so from that case, right, it's all very clear. There's nothing fuzzy about it. It's not language like, hey, you guys should meet and talk Mm -hmm. and you have a lot in common and grow your network. That's just an introduction because there's no need that's been identified. So it's really concrete in terms of the connection and it's really concrete in terms of the language that's used as to why the email is happening. So do you recommend that Sally, to keep going with this example, that Sally reach out to you, say that she knew that you needed something um, that we provided, you know, in order to help accelerate your business. And should she connect with you first and say, I want to introduce you to Bill. Is there that additional step that you recommend so that you know what the call is about and you know that it's okay for her to share that you had that need? Yeah, so I love that question. It's really interesting. So the truth is, nine times out of 10, Sally's not going to be thinking about me or you, right? Sally's going about her business. She's doing her thing. And the only, most of the time, the only time she's going to be thinking about me and that I have a problem that she can help me solve is if we're having a conversation about it. Now, maybe we had a conversation in the past and then she met you and she decided you could solve my problem. And so she's going to go back and close the loop. But I think that's a misnomer about referrals is that our referral sources are sitting around thinking about how to refer us. They're not. They're sitting around thinking about themselves, just like we're all sitting around most of the time thinking about ourselves. So So that's big. So that people shouldn't think that finding the referral sources 
that spend all day thinking about them are out there. If you stop chasing those unicorns, you could actually put your energy into more productive pursuits. <laughs> right. And what I teach in my program is, is there's actually a way to reach out to our referral sources in a very meaningful and memorable way that takes us above keeping in touch and moves us into being top of mind and having impact on them. So we're not doing something like every week or every month, right? But there's a way to to really be top of mind with them and what we do with our outreach, which I call touch points in the program. But the outreach that we do with them allows us to stay top of mind. So we actually are triggered more often in their subconsciousness so that there's more opportunity for them to think about us to do referrals. But no referral source wakes up every day and says, huh, I wonder who I can refer to Stacy today. No one's doing that. No, it doesn't matter how much they love me. It doesn't matter how great of care I take of them. It doesn't matter how amazing I am to them. No one's waking up and thinking that. I'm not even quite sure anyone in my family is waking up <laughs> and thinking, huh, how can I take care of mom today, right? Like, I don't think that's kind of how it works. And so we have to, be, we have to recognize that typically when a referral is going to happen, it's because there has been a triggering event, which means typically a conversation has happened and there is somebody who knows that you can solve someone's problem. And remember, they're not thinking about you because a referral isn't about you. You actually don't matter. Now, I don't mean to say that harshly. I just mean to say that the referral source matters the most. And what the referral source is ultimately after, it isn't to send you more business, even if they adore you and want to see you succeed. They're trying to help somebody who has a problem. And in helping that person who has a problem, you happen to be the solution provider. So the referral source's focus is on the prospect because they're trying to help them which means maybe they wake up and think, well, I've got this really great friend who has a problem. Let me see how I can help solve it. But even those thoughts don't happen on a day in or weekend or month in basis. So we have to kind of keep in mind how a referral actually happens and then what we do to make sure that we are the top of mind person they consider when they're trying to find a solution for their friend, peer, colleague that has a problem that they want to help them solve. So this gets really into the psychological dynamics and the foundation of what a true referral is as opposed to leads, as opposed to introductions, et cetera. For larger businesses, there's a need to automate this. Have you found any way that people, maybe not turn it 100% over, but tools that could help stay top of mind and be effective at generating referrals rather than things that are, that are not effective simply because they're not based on the right principles? You know, it's interesting. I love that question because I think people, I think business owners in general, I don't care how small or how large your business is. I think in general, we go looking for the easy button in business. We just do. We automatically kind of result to or kind of find ourselves in that place of saying, hey, how, how can I automate this? How can I make this go faster? How can I make this more streamlined? How can I touch it less to make it happen? And I always tell folks is that, you know, we have to be intentional about the outreach that we're going to do to our referral sources so that we can be memorable and meaningful and stay top of mind. The execution of some of those touch points can definitely be handed off to somebody else and automated. But when people hear touch points and they don't know, like they haven't been in my program and they don't know what I really mean by memorable and meaningful and top of mind, they typically default to, well, what can I do that keeps me in touch with people, you know, that I'll be able to automate. And so they go looking for the newsletter or they go looking for the third party that will send something on their behalf. And I always tell folks that's only going to keep you in touch and we need to be top of mind, which means we have to do a pattern interrupt and we have to get our referral sources attention so that they know that we care about them and they're endeared to us as well. 
And so all this stuff has to come from a very authentic and a very genuine place. Like you actually have to want to take care of your referral sources in this way. It's not a manipulation factor because we can all see through that. And because we're never asking, like sometimes you feel like you're not even telling them what you want, but we are because the language we use plant seeds, it just says never a direct ask. And so people, they do, they go looking for tools. I actually have a whole um, chapter on my book on this, how tools are not the answer for your referrals. They can supplement. They just can't be your entire process because yeah. you have to go above and beyond and you actually have to be really intentional on the outreach you're going to do. But like I tell my students in my growth by referrals program, we're talking somewhere between four to eight touch points a year, depending on what you do and depending on where your referral sources are. So we're also not talking about doing something every month, but an e-newsletter is not going to cut it. Um, having a third party, you know, send something on your behalf every month isn't going to cut it. Um, it's got to be more intentional than that. Because remember, these people drop new clients into your lap and they make it easy for you to close your next client. And so we have to do some things that are a little bit more valuable for them so that they know that they are cared for and they are appreciated, right? And we don't overlook or devalue what they do for us. And so it takes a little bit of work. It's so much more fun doing, I think, doing a referral process than it is like going out there and doing all that prospecting and networking, cold calling, but it's still work. And what are some of the ways that you find to help some of your students who go through the program and adopt this process to get over the hump and get over the initial um, reluctance because of the additional work or learning that's required? So I always find the best way to tell somebody about the work that they're going to have to do is, is to let the students who've gone through the program before kind of speak for me. And so it's interesting when people are considering the program and they're thinking about the work. Um, I have one student who's been through it, Michelle. She's a property and casualty insurance agent. And she said, you know, the reality is you can get through all the information in a couple of hours and you can build out your referral generating plan. And, you know, maybe it'll take you an hour, maybe it'll take you a little bit longer. She's like, so it feels like work, right? I mean, it feels like you're going to have five to six hours to get it all done. She's like, but then you're done. <laughs> then after that, right, you'll automate the pieces that you can, but really it's the ability to execute on those touch points when the time comes throughout the year and use the right language. And it's actually a major time saver because it has so much more impact than anything else that we can do. And so, yeah, it'll take, it'll take a little bit of work on the front end, but most of my students are like, well, yeah, yeah, but even that's only like, you know, a handful of hours, four or five, six hours, depending on how slow or how fast you move, um, because all the resources are, are included in the program. So you're not, I'm not trying to have you invent things. Like I'm giving you suggestions and ideas and the students are too. Like we have samples of other students' plans in the program so you can see it. And my students always say, yeah, there's work involved. It's going to take, you know, maybe four to six hours when you want to like learn everything and set everything up but then it's just the execution of it and you save so much time and you're not supposed to spend a lot of money. That's the other point is that you can build the, the your referral generating plan, these touch points on a shoestring budget. So you're not supposed to be spending a ton of time or a ton of money, um, but there is some upfront work, but anything that we want to work well in the back end always takes some work on the front end. So I always ask my students about that. I'm like, how much work would you say this takes? And they're like, it's so worth it. And it's never as much as people think. I mean, I can build anyone's referral generating plan in four hours, start to finish. We can have it all done and ready to go, depending on if they do some of their homework in, in advance. So it never takes that much time. But yes, that's still time you're going to have to set aside to do it. And it sounds like what that is, is it really is the magic that makes it work because it's the thoughtfulness. It's the consideration. It's taking into account what the 
people you're looking to stay top of mind with would truly appreciate, not just send a generic card out or e-newsletter to everyone. Right. And you're never going to send a water bottle with your logo on it either. Right. We have oh, to, no. right? we have to build these things based <laughs> on our referral sources. And so there's a, you know, there's some steps in the process. I walk people through first, we need to know who we're building it for. Yes. Then we're going to build touch points. But the, the secret sauce that makes those touch points work is the language we use that plants referral seeds so that we're never having to ask for referrals, but we're definitely kind of moving into their subconscious of how they think about us. So they're getting the language, they're feeling cared for. It's happening consistently. And of course, we know who we're doing it for, which makes the whole process work. Right. Stacy, are you ready for the my quest for the best lightning round? I think so. <laughs> well, here we go. Tell me, what are two or three key components of your routine for daily success? Two or three key components of my routine for daily success. I think that having a nighttime routine is actually really, really important to kind of get ready to have a good night's sleep so you can wake up refreshed the next morning. So I would say for one, it would be a nighttime routine. For me also, um, I'm a big fan of time blocking and making sure that I have on my calendar the right things to do at the right time. And then just making sure I also take lots of breaks when needed. And what's your favorite way to get unstuck? Do you have a tool or system that you use for staying on track and productive? So it depends on what I'm stuck on. Sometimes it is actually getting away from the office and going for a walk. I find being outside is really helpful for me to kind of get my juices going. Some of my best ideas have happened while I've been on a walk. And then I have a, a few close folks that are kind of in my same world and that I will call them and just having a conversation with them because they get my business. I don't have to explain it to them and I get theirs. Um, they are really, really encouraging and they kind of motivate me to keep going. If you think back over the past year, what's an important habit, routine, or belief that you've stopped that's brought you the most pleasure or personal satisfaction? So I am a reform, what I like to call as myself as a reformed perfectionist. And I think really working hard over the last number of years to let go of trying to be perfect and making everything perfect and adopting the mentality of 80% and go has really helped me kind of move things forward. Um, it doesn't mean I don't sometimes fight that those professional perfectionism tendencies, but being very aware of that's how I operate and then calling myself out on it and working on that on a kind of day in and day out basis and doing that for the last couple of years, I think has really helped progress happen for me. And I know that many ideas will occur to you when I ask this next question, but just give me the one that comes up first. What's the best advice you've ever received? Yeah, that's a tough one. So I would say the best advice that I've ever received, I think that it would probably, one of the things that I was told that I think is really, really helpful, my dad used to always tell us um, when we would come to argue with him that bring me the facts, not your emotions. And his point wasn't that we don't make decisions through our emotions. His point was, is that the, the data doesn't lie. The facts don't lie. And so always thinking, and I think this time of year being the end of year, I always think it's good to kind of reflect back and pull the data and recognize what happened, what didn't happen for a year, for a certain instance, and paying attention to the numbers and the results and the data, and then making decisions from there, I think typically set, allows us to remove our emotions to it, because sometimes our emotions, they're not always correct, and the data doesn't typically lie. That's, that's a terrific reminder. Now, back with referrals, at what point, when you were putting these programs together, did you realize that you had turned the corner, that you had actually broken the code 
because something started happening that wasn't happening before. Take us back to that moment and, and share with us what that about that breakthrough. You know, I would say I would have to kind of explain this in a two-part step. I think for myself, when I started my referral generation process, these five steps that I kind of follow and that I teach in my program, and I was just doing it for myself, and I looked back, I didn't really know it was five steps, but I looked back and I realized the things that I had been doing had in my first year as a business and productivity coach had brought me over a hundred uh, over a hundred referrals, actually 112 referrals to be exact. And I couldn't even work with that many people. It put me on a waiting list to raise my rates. Like a lot of great things happened at that moment. So I would say looking back after my first year, it was kind of like that moment of, Oh wait, I'm having great success with this. But it was when I started teaching it to my small business clients and my solopreneur clients, and they started applying what I was teaching them and they started having success that I really boiled it down. The more I taught it one-on-one -on -one and then brought on my online program, the, the, it was the ability for me to see it's these five steps. Yep, there's some nuances and things we have to go over, but it's these steps. And that makes me a better teacher of being able to explain it in such a consistent and kind of you know condensed way so that anybody can take it and apply it to their business. And so I would say kind of that second light, lightning bolt hit me when I realized that after I taught it a few times, I recognized how best to teach it. And that really, it's just these five simple steps. Well, Stacey, you have shared with us so many great ideas on my quest for the best today about generating referrals without asking. And you've talked about different buckets and the importance of making distinctions, um, whether you're prospecting, marketing, or getting referrals. And knowing that referrals, in order to qualify as a referral, really requires that there's a trust transfer and that there, there's a need identified. And you helped us understand and really hone in on the fact that email is ideal for making a referral because it puts the person who's, who's being referred in the driver's seat because they have control now of the follow-up. You talked about how trust reduces the two big fears of wasting money or making a mistake. And you share with us that it's not just staying in touch, but it's being top of mind, really being aware of what you offer and how you can help and conveying that caring that also makes it essential in order for referrals to occur. You shared with us the fact that sometimes looking for the easy button delays achieving success because if you're looking for the easy button and you're not willing to put in the work, it's not going to work as well for you. And that's absolutely essential. So once again, thanks so much for sharing your ideas, your experiences, and those of your students, ideas around generating business referrals without asking. It's been great to have you on My Quest for the Best. Where can we find out more about you and your work online? I got to say, that's an incredible wrap up. <laughs> Thank you so much, Bill, for articulating all that so well. And so it was amazing. Um, but so my home base where people can find me is always stacybrownrandall.com. And just remember, Stacy does have an E. Stacy, would it be okay for us to link directly to your quiz so people could find out what level referral ninja they are in your system? Yes, absolutely. So definitely it's stacybrownrandall.com forward slash quiz. And it is a nine question quiz, super simple. I know you took it, Bill. It will give you one of three levels about your skill set and ability at generating referrals. And it's just a real cute quiz. It's called the Referral Ninja Quiz. You'll be one of three referral ninjas. And any final words that you want people to think about so that they can embrace this and use it to their benefit? Because many people have so much more capacity and value to offer than they're able to. And this is one way that they can unlock that potential. Here's the thing I think people need to always remember about referrals. As long as you do great work, you definitely deserve referrals. But please remember, you're not owed them. 
So you got to do some work for them, but the work you do for them should honor who you are and it should honor your referral source. And that means you need to be taking care of them and using the right language to plant referral seeds and never, never, ever ask for a referral. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hi, this is Bill. Before you go, I just want to ask you a quick favor. If you've enjoyed this interview on my quest for the best, I'd love it if you'd go to iTunes, look up my quest for the best and subscribe. I want to make sure you don't miss the very next episode we have coming up. We've got a lineup of terrific guests, and I know that if you enjoyed this one, you'll like what you find coming up soon. Also, feel free to give it a comment, a like, because we work hard to put these interviews together, and I'd appreciate making sure that we're reaching you and serving you in the, the best way possible. I look forward to reading your comments and catch you on the next interview. Thanks so much.